Father, we're so grateful to be here, and regardless of whether we're sprinting into a new year or if we're uh, falling forward, crippled, our need remains the same. We need you today, and we need you this year, and I pray that you would give us a fresh vision of your goodness, of your sufficiency, of your grace. How do we celebrate new life yet again in this church? We thankful for the birth of Wesley Wright and we pray for him and his parents and thank you for a healthy baby and we pray for him that he would know you at a very early age, give his parents, Zach and Whitney, perseverance and patience and skill as they shepherd little hearts. God, we pray for our government and uh, locally and at the state level, at the national level, pray for wisdom. They need it, we need it, we need them to have it and so we pray for wisdom and righteousness. Pray for local churches here in the city of Abilene that the gospel would go forth in a, in a powerful way this morning, that you would continue to do what you promised to do through your spirit by the word of, of building up your body. And we pray for the strengthening of churches here in our city. Guys, we turn to your word, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Happy New Year. We made it. <laughs> Barely, but we made it. 2020 was really one for the books. It's one of those years that we just haven't had that kind of year in a long time, uh, maybe ever. And so it'll be one of those we talk about for decades to come. And so much is different now, right? Even about a year ago, if I would have said something like, well, I forgot my mask, so I have to Zoom. One year ago, that would have made no sense, right? Forgot my mask, so I have to Zoom. Well, what are you talking about? What mask? What is Zoom? Like, are you going to rob a bank? Are you going to a race, a car race? Like, what are you even talking about? It's been a culture-changing year. I mean, just think about it. We had COVID hit pretty early, February, March, sent the country railing, not knowing much at all about it. And then we had George Floyd and the racial riots. Then you had lockdowns, and you've had all the issues with, with hospitals and masks. And then you have the election, the country really is divided in a way, at least in my lifetime, that we haven't seen. And social media is no help. It's, it's fuel for the fire. People are polarized. If this year has shown us anything, it's shown us that we, as an American people, don't disagree well. We're quite immature when it comes to convictions and tolerance, the old definition of tolerance. And sadly, the church has not been exempt and talking with pastor friends, uh, all agree this is the hardest year of ministry. And I think we could talk of just leaders in general, but I talk mostly with pastors. And, you know, we all agree, you know, no one, no one had the, the class in seminary on leading an opinionated and polarized people through a global pandemic. We didn't take that one. They didn't offer that elective. And people, sadly, are dropping out of ministry like flies. The pressure's just too much. They just can't win. They hear things like, well, my pastor didn't address race, or my pastor did address race, or my pastor said too much, or he didn't say enough. He's too liberal. He's too much of a fundamentalist. They didn't shut down soon enough. They did shut down. They didn't require masks. They do require masks. They didn't dismiss by rose. He's not political enough. He's too political. People aren't coming back. People have stopped giving. People are shopping around for other churches, on and on and on. You can never do enough. Every decision is scrutinized. And in the church, so many members are being divisive towards one another. 
2020 has really been a great exposer. On the bright side, I think the church, not speaking just of Southside, but the capital C church, when this dust settles, it will be smaller, but I think it'll be stronger. I think it already is in so many ways. 2020 has been a refining fire in the hand of God, and he's been at work. And locally, let me just rush to say, uh, I think you all have endured this extremely well. Speaking on behalf of the elders and the staff, we've received a ton of grace, a ton of support, a ton of prayer, and we're super grateful for that. I'm sure we, I know we've made mistakes, uh, but we're doing our best. We will continue to do our best to lead prayerfully, to lead wisely through this. And so I just want to thank you for your support. You've continued to, to be plugged in, to be checked in, to be encouraging to other members, to, to give generously. Worship through giving. I'm so thankful I'm not up here having to talk about a ton of budget cuts. And even in the midst of COVID, I was doing some numbers uh, this week. Even in 2020, we gained 71 members. It's really incredible. So much to be thankful for, but still, many of you are in a rough spot. You're in a bad place. I think God has a word for us in light of a year like 2020. So open your Bibles to Psalm 73. If you're going to use one of our pew Bibles, they're probably easiest to reach down in front of you. It's going to be page 455, and let's see what God has for us from Psalm chapter 73. Psalm 73, written by a guy named Asaph, and really the whole first half of the psalm, he's questioning God. He's had a rough year. Psalm chapter 73. Let's start in verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's almost like he's having to convince himself and remind himself of that. I know God's good to, to his people, to those who are pure in heart. Verse 2, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So he, he confesses what he knows to be true. God is good, but here I'm in a bad spot. I've almost stumbled. I've almost slipped. Verse 3, 4, he tells us what was going on. I was envious of the arrogance when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's looking around and he's thinking, man, I, here I am. I'm an Israelite. I'm, I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm trying to keep my heart pure, but I'm looking around and I'm frustrated. I mean, maybe other people are doing better than I am. Why? Verse 4, for they, they have no pangs until death. They're taken care of. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. They're doing fine and they don't give no regard for God. Verse 6, therefore pride's their necklace. Violence cover them, covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and they speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain, I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. 
For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I'll speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he's confessing here. He's, he's in a bad spot. He's frustrated. Life's not going well. And he's looking around and it's going extremely well for people who don't care about him. And maybe that's you. Maybe you over this year, you've just been beat. We all have in some ways. And maybe you've grown frustrated. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're angry at God. Maybe you've grown bitter, envious of others who haven't been hit as hard as you've been hit. You're depressed. You're anxious. You're cynical. You're questioning God's goodness because you've had a hard year and you look around and people are just doing fine and you're like, what's the point of all this? Here I am, I'm struggling, I've lost, I'm broke, I'm sick, my family's sick. My future is unstable. My finances are shaky. I'm concerned about the direction of our country. You might resonate with Asaph here when he says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. What's the point of all this? But that's not the end of the story. We're only halfway through the psalm. We have 15 verses here of Asaph questioning God's goodness. And then we have a change of perspective. Light breaks through in verse 16. Look at it with me. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. He gains perspective. How does he gain perspective? Well, two ways in this verse. First, he enters the sanctuary. The temple, this is corporate worship. This is where the people of God would gather to honor him. And so he's been focused on self and he's having this pity party. He's depressed and discouraged and bitter until he goes to corporate worship. See, we need corporate worship. I know many of our people still cannot return because they're compromised and that's okay. But also know that you agree with me here. You need it. You miss it. You can't wait to be back. The people of God need it. We're made for it. In fact, Gallup recently did a poll on mental health. It was a study of mental health in America. And as you can imagine, it was, it was worse than it had been at any point in the last 20 years. But guess there was one category, one genre of people that were doing better this year than last. Just one. Guess who they were? They were those who, quote, attend weekly religious services. See, church is essential. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near we need this we come here and we gather weekly and we're reminded of what matters we're reminded of who we are we're reminded of whose we are we're realigned we get bent out of shape during the week don't we we lose some of our saltiness and we come in here and we're we're realigned and we're resalinated 
We're refreshed. Our eyes are lifted up from gazing at our navel to behold the glory of the Lord. And we need this encouragement of the word, the word prayed and the word sung and the word preached and the word displayed in the ordinances. So we come in here and we have our perspective fixed. We regain this God-centered perspective on life. That's what Asaph does. And he gets back in the right frame of mind until I went into the sanctuary of God. That's the first thing he does to gain a God-centered perspective. But second, notice in the verse it says he discerns their end. The end of the wicked. He takes the long view. He zooms out. Look at verse 18. He said, at the end of verse 17, I discern their end. Verse 18, truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He discerns their end. He takes a long view. He quits being so short-sighted. And he realizes that, yeah, sure, life in this world, it may sometimes go well for unbelievers, but this life is a vapor. And he realizes they're going to face judgment if they don't turn to the Lord. They're actually not well off at all. They're ripening for ruin. Matthew Henry says there's many who have a great deal of this life in their hands with nothing of the other life in their hearts. This is Asaph's contemporaries. May that not be us. As we think about another year, church, take the long view. Discern the end. It's so easy in today's world to get caught up in the here and now, the tyranny of the immediates. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants us so short-sighted. But friends, a life well-lived, a life lived to the glory of God, a life of joy is a life lived with the end in mind. So just ask yourself, how much does eternity inform my daily life. How much does the there and then affect your here and now? Asaph Asaph realizes he's being self-focused and short-sighted, which is a sure recipe for anxiety, discouragement, envy. He realizes he needs to change his perspective. He needs to come to corporate worship. He needs to take the long view and he needs to pursue the Lord. Look at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. What's the key here to overcoming despondency and bitterness and anxiety and envy? Being with the Lord. That's what he says. He says, I'm I'm continually with you. You hold me 
You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. He pursues the Lord and he gains perspective and he finds joy and contentment and satisfaction. I mean, look again at verse 25, this prayer of of confession here. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Christian, can you relate to that at all? Is God your all and all? Or are your desires all earthly? Or is he your ultimate desire? Is he your delight? The anchor. It's all over the Psalms. Listen to Psalm 63. Similar confession here. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Do you believe that? Do you you seek him at all? Could your seeking be described as earnest? Earnestly I seek you. Does your soul thirst for him? Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So maybe the first step is just a prayer of confession. God, I can't relate to this psalmist. Can't relate to it all. I don't desire God. I'm here out of duty. The person I'm with dragged me here. Maybe that's your first confession is I'm not there. And so maybe the prayer of the year is, God, would you become my portion, my treasure, my delight, my ultimate satisfaction, my hope? Friends, as we enter a new year, Let's prioritize corporate worship. Let's take the long view. Let's pursue the Lord. As we enter 2021, may your hope not be in a better 2021. Because it may be worse. (laughs) We think because the the calendar clicked, everything's going to be fine. I hope it is. Brandon, it is. It may not. Don't put your hope in a vaccine may not be the solution we need. It may not work. It may not last. We're already hearing of variant strands. Don't put your hope in a strong economy. Don't put your hope in a particular president. All that is shifting sands. When the storm comes, it will wash all that away. Let your hope be in the Lord. Because it's going to get worse. This world has fallen. Junk's going to happen. Trials are going to come. You can be sure of it. Notice what he says in verse 26. He says, my flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It may get worse. Friends, here's a, you may die this year. That's what he says. My heart and my flesh may fail. That's what he's talking about. But God. But God, he is the strength of our hearts. He is our portion forever. He's our strength. And so we can rejoice. Come what may, we can rejoice. We will not fear. I saw somewhere that one of the most searched for phrases 
of the Bible in 2020 was from Isaiah 41.10. We've sung it already. It says this. It's from the perspective of God. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He is our strength. He will strengthen us. We look to him. We don't look here, right? Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I won't look down here for the solution to my problems because problems may abound down here. My flesh and my heart may fail. I may lose it all, but God... Love the way the end of Habakkuk puts it, chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. If I'm totally broke, if I lose it all, if 2021 makes 2020 look like Disneyland, doesn't matter yet. I will rejoice in the Lord. Though I have nothing, if I have him, there's reason for rejoicing. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. How is that possible, friends? To lose it all and yet rejoice? That's what Habakkuk just said. That's what Psalm 73 is saying. How is that possible? It's because our joy is in him, not down here. It's not in earthly circumstances. The Lord is our portion. The Lord is our joy. The Lord is our inheritance. He is our life. We're in this thing for him. That's why we're here. It's him. He's the source of our blessing. He's the source of our happiness. If I have nothing else but I have him, I'm good. If God's your portion, it doesn't matter how good or how bad the next year is. God alone that made the soul can make it happy. In heaven, God is all you want and need. On earth, God is all you want and need. Be at peace, dear struggling saint. Your true happiness is beyond the reach of any evil this life can bring. That's good news, if you believe it. Your greatest treasure and enjoyment, God, can never be taken from you. And so as we enter this next year, let's prioritize corporate worship and taking the long view and let's pursue the Lord. Let's resolve to live in light of eternity. If you're not a Christian, the first step is to trust Christ. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. We've all sinned in word, in thought, in action. We're guilty. It's the whole point of this deal. This is why we're here, because Jesus Christ came to save sinners. So if you don't know him, your first step is to turn from your sin and turn to the Lord. If you have questions about that, this is why we're here. This is the conversations we love. If you have done that and you haven't done the first step, that first step of obedience after you trust in the Lord is to go public and say, I'm with King Jesus through believer's baptism. If you have any questions, let us know. That's the first step if you don't know him. But if you're a Christian then, resolved to pursue him. There's no better time to start than the beginning of the first year to make some resolve to follow the Lord. Every year, at least now, we'll read uh, Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. Jonathan Edwards was the American pastor, uh, probably the greatest theologian America's ever produced. And he wrote these resolutions. There's 70 of them. You can Google them. They're for free. And he did it when he was 19. 
And so we always like to get kicked in the teeth and learn from Edwards. Uh, I was reading, I'm reading a biography right now of Edwards and I, I realize I've learned a lot from Edwards and I'm learning another lesson. So when he, he left his church and became president of Princeton and the new, uh, the new smallpox vaccine had arrived and he thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to lead out in this. I'm going to show the community that it's okay to take, to be inoculated for this vaccine. And he did that and uh, it killed him. He died at 54. So I've learned a lot from Edwards, both positive and negative. Let the hearer understand. <laughs> well, let me read just a few of these resolutions. Resolve never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God, nor be nor suffer it if I can avoid it. Resolution number five, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Number seven, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Seventeen, resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. There he is, just like Asaph, living with the end in mind. Resolution number 22, resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. It was resolute. And so as a church, let's resolve to seek and follow the Lord this year. Maybe you're like, you know what? I know I should. I've, I'm here for the first time in months. I'm, I'm a backslider. I've got good news for backsliders. Listen to the Lord in Zechariah chapter 1. He says, therefore, say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts. Here's the invitation. Return. Return to me says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. God invites you back to the good life. I want to finish my time this morning by talking about some tools, some ways that we can better pursue the Lord together, the, the means of grace that God has given us to grow in grace, sometimes called the spiritual disciplines, but I prefer the means of grace, the means God has given us, the, the channels, the pipes, the circuits that God has promised to bless, the avenues he's provided for us to grow in grace. We can't control how much we grow, which we could, but we can't, but we can be ready. We can do our part. We can't light the fire, but we can pack that thing with firewood and kindling. God will do his part. We can do our part. We can ready the horse, Proverbs 21, 31, the horse is made ready for the battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So God is sovereign, but he uses means, and we're not to be passive in this thing. We have a role to play. The means of grace he's given us, they're like circuits. The power is available, but we must plug in. So the question here is, is if you can't relate to these, these confessions here of God being our life and our portion, what should you do? Well, you should use the means God has given us to get there. You want God to be your treasure, your portion? Let's take advantage of what he's given us. And so we must live lives of discipline, sanctified sweat. 
And I feel like my generation and younger, anytime anyone starts talking about discipline, they, they wave the legalism flag. Well, that's legalism. Well, no, no, no. The definition of legalism is trying to earn God's love by what you do. And I hope you know me, know the Bible well enough that that is as, we're as far from there as you could possibly be. We teach regularly because the Bible teaches regularly. You can't gain God's love by what you do. It's by grace through faith. The only thing you contribute to your salvation is your need of salvation. Empty hands we bring and simply to the cross we cling. But grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning but it's not opposed to effort. And so we must build into our lives because we've already been saved, these habits of grace and these habits over time turn into lives of grace. Listen to my man, J.C. Ryle. Believe me, you cannot stand still in the affairs of your souls. Habits of good or evil are daily strengthening in your hearts. Every day you are either getting nearer to God or further off. This is so important. In the Christian life, there is no neutrality. There is no checking out. There is no neutral. There is no standing still. We are either moving towards the Lord or the culture is pushing us away from the Lord. Discipleship is always happening. Moving toward him or drifting away from him. And so that means we need to wake up and we need to be disciplined. We need to be joyfully rigorous. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we and imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Rigor, but it's joyful rigor, right? Because to be near God is where joy is. Listen to the psalmist again in chapter 16. He says, I've set the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we want to be joyfully rigorous about our pursuit of the Lord. Take advantage of all the avenues he's given us. Let me just mention four, four means of grace, four ways to pursue the Lord. And at the same time, we'll keep focus on what matters. We'll have the long view. We'll, we'll focus on what's not going to matter this week or this month or even this year, but what's going to matter 10,000 years from now. First, the word. Be a Bible reader. Resolution 28 from Edwards resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of them. Make it a goal to know your Bible better this year. Read it. Study it. Love it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. This past week, I was 
reading through 1 Thessalonians, I was struck by a couple of verses. One of those is in chapter 2, verse 13. And Paul says, I thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. May that be us this year. We receive the word, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Why? Because it's at work in you, eagerly accepting it as the word that's at work. The spirit of God works through his word. It's the main way, the main avenue that God has promised to bless is our engagement with the word. Jesus himself prayed. He prayed for us. He says, Father, sanctify them. Set them apart as holy. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So do you want to be more sanctified this year? More set apart? More holy? Do you want to grow spiritually? Do you want more joy? Joy that is not informed by earthly circumstances, but by the Lord? Do you want more patience? Do you want to be more kind? Do you want to be able to endure trials better? Get in the word. God's given us the means to get there. If you have a family, prioritize family worship. Some, sometime during the day, whether it's breakfast or lunch or dinner, bedtime, whatever, open the book, open the Bible, read, sing, and pray. It can be no more than 10 minutes, but if you do 10 minutes four times a week and it becomes just the culture of your home, God will go to work. Talk about kindling, you're packing in so that when the spirit ignites the flame, it's ready. Maybe some of you started strong and you've kind of fizzled out. Hey, re-up. Re-up family worship. Catechize your kids. Use the New City Catechism. Google it. They've got an app and everything. Prioritize the word in your daily life. Second, pray. Set aside time every day to pray to God. Pray the Bible. Use the Psalms. Can't really improve on the Psalms to turn the Psalms into prayer. If you're a member, grab one of our membership directories. We've got it by day of the month. Pray for members. If you're married, pray every day with your spouse. If you haven't been doing that, resolve today. You know what? Today. Husbands, lead out in this. Pray every day with your spouse. Pray for unbelievers. Just, just ask yourself for a minute. I've asked this before. I like to ask it regularly. If God answered every single prayer you prayed for the last 30 days, what would happen? Would anybody be saved? Pray, ask God to save your unbelieving friends and family and neighbors. Be a person of prayer. As Luther said to his wife, pray and let God worry. <laughs> That's good advice. Maybe helpful just to, let me explain what I'm going to do. Uh, maybe helpful just to see what, what I plan to do. Now, I'm a pastor, so it might be a little bit different, but it really shouldn't because, again, we're not talking about a lot of time. So what I plan to do this year, at least at the beginning, I like to change it up because I get in ruts, and so I'm regularly changing. But this year, what I plan to do, I'm going to get up at 530, coffee will be made, and I'm going to pray through a psalm. So I'm going to pick a psalm 
and I'm going to turn it into a prayer. Some psalms are easy to do, some are hard. Doesn't matter. Turn the page. There's 150 of them. There's an app called Five Psalms that'll help you pray through the psalms. And so all of you tend to pray for the same sorts of things. You pray for yourself, you pray for your work, you pray for your ministry, you pray for your family, pray for whatever, whatever the current crisis is. Well, instead of just praying those same six things over and over again, use the psalms to enrich your prayer life around those six important things. So I'm going to pray a psalm, and then I'm going to pray through the directory. I'm going to pray for you all systematically. And then I'm going to read the F260 plan. We've got them at the doors. If you want to join with us, join with us. Again, Google it. It's a really easy plan. It's two chapters a day. It's like eight minutes. So I'm going to read the F260 plan along with many of you. And then I'm going to read the proverb of the day. One proverb based on the day of the month. So today's Proverbs 3. And then I'm going to do a little bit in Greek because I'm a pastor nerd and I don't expect you to do that. But that's not much, honestly. That is not much. And so I've got a plan and I've got a place. I encourage you to do the same. Find a place, find a plan, work it and pursue the Lord. Some days you're just going to check it off like, well, did it. But cumulatively, you are growing in a way that you can't even yourself discern. You know, you've got to measure sanctification in years, not months. But you pursue the Lord like this, and two years later, three years later, you realize, wow, I am an entirely different person. And the reason is because I've been pursuing the Lord with the means of grace that he's given us. Word, prayer, third, endure suffering as a believer. Now, we don't normally think this way, but suffering is a means of grace. It's something that God graciously puts in our life to change us. Don't waste your pain. We as Christians, we do trials differently. God uses suffering as a means of grace. I could go so many places in the Bible. Hebrews 12 speaks of us not disregarding the discipline of the Lord because God loves us. And those whom God loves, he disciplines for our good. So he uses trials to shape our character. And isn't that what we just sung? When through deep waters... I call you to go. The rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. God says, for I will be with you, your troubles to bless. You think about what we sing, I hope you do. He's going to bless our troubles. He'll be with us, your troubles to bless. And sanctify to you your deepest distress. Your deepest distress God will use to sanctify you. And when the fiery trials, when through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. Some of us have really hard years ahead of us. Let's receive it from the good hand of a loving God that has purposes to sanctify us through it. We suffer differently. Fourth, be on mission. We, we grow by following the Lord. We grow by obeying him. And we're all called to be witnesses, to make disciples who make disciples. Another verse as I was reading Thessalonians that jumped out was in chapter one, verse eight. And listen to the way Paul describes this church. He says, not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth 
from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone everywhere. Would that be us this year? The word sounds forth from this place. So let's be obedient. As we're obedient, God's going to sanctify us. He's going to grow us. It's a means he's given us. This, this, this year, let's, let's up our evangelistic game. Let's share the gospel. If we believe it, shouldn't we be sharing it? Let's pray by name and let's be bold and share in the gospel. I'm so thankful with what God's doing at Southside. And I'm thankful that we're growing, we're, we're baptizing people. You know what I want to see more of? And I want you to want to see more of? And that is growth by conversion. People coming to know the Lord because you shared the gospel with them. Be witnesses. Up your evangelistic game. And make disciples who make disciples. Again, great commission. This is for every Christian. Every Christian is called to make disciples who will go and teach all that Jesus commanded. And part of what Jesus commanded was to make disciples. And so a disciple is one who makes disciples. Around here, we just define that as helping other people follow the Lord. So if you're a disciple in this place, you're called to help other people follow the Lord. One of the main ways we do that here at Southside is through what we call D groups. If you're new, uh, we'd love to resource you. You can check out our website. It's got a thing on D groups under our ministries. All it is is three to five or six men or women who gather together weekly to grow in the Lord together, who will then go and grab someone else who will gather weekly and help people grow. And so if you're not engaged in evangelism or discipleship, you want to grow, get busy doing mission. Word, prayer, suffering, mission. We could say more. But let's pursue the Lord with everything we have this year. And even if this year is just like last year, you don't have to be. Praise God. Even if 2021 doesn't change, you can by the means he's given us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your promises, for your goodness, for your grace. And Lord, I know many of us confess we haven't made you our priority like we should. When we think about the question, whom have I but you, we've actually got a whole lot of things and people besides you crowding our vision. And so part of our prayer this morning is give us clear eyes to see what ultimately matters. Thank you for Asaph and his honesty. We can be honest with him and confess that we've been in a bad place, but then may we act as he's acted and may we pursue you through worship. May we realize a long view, realize that this life really at the end of the day is so, so small, so short. May we live in light of eternity. May we not be consumed with whatever's happening now in this week or this month or this year or even this decade. God, would you help us to live for you? Help us to believe. We confess our unbelief. Help us. And give us grace to pursue you, Lord. We need help to be disciplined. We confess our default mode is laziness. And so would you by your spirit move us to pursue you and give us favor. We want to know more of you. So we're thankful for the promise that you meet us. We turn to you. You turn to us. I pray as Augustine prayed in the fourth century, Lord, bring to me a sweetness surpassing all the seductive delights that I once pursued 
Enable me to love you with all my strength that I may clasp your hand with all my heart. You, Lord, are my King and my God. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.